You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln audio podcast. We are uh, walking into a new series today for about the next 10 weeks. So today in about nine weeks from now, we're going to be walking through uh, the book of James, the letter that James has written to the church. Uh, And as we walk through uh, these 10 weeks looking at James, we're going to be drawing out biblical principles about true faith. And as we walk through uh, what James has written to the church, uh, we're going to discover what not just faith looks like, but true faith. We're going to dive in and we're going to see how how James defines for us what true faith looks like. And along the way, we're going to discover, as James defines um, the consequence in a positive way, the consequence of living out true faith and the influence and the impact and how it has in our, our lives as Christ followers. One of the things that we're going to uh, recognize as we're walking through the letter that James has written is what I would call the if-then principle. Now, if you're reading through James, you're not going to hear James, you're not going to read James say, now here's the if-then principle, but it's something that I drew out as, as I was just, as I've been studying the book of James. And let me give you a few examples of what I mean by the if-then principle. Um, <clears throat> if you cut your finger with a knife, then you can expect that it will what? It'll bleed. If you cut it, then it'll bleed. On the flip side of that, if you're careful with the knife, then you won't have to deal with that situation. Um, If you fail to fill your car up with gas, then you may very well find yourself sitting on the side of the road with no gas. Car won't go. On the flip side... If you keep your tank filled with gas, you're probably not, then you're not going to have that happen. Let me give you one more. Um, If you fail to pay your electric bill, then what's going to happen? You're going to be sitting in the dark at home. But if you pay it on time, then you're not going to have to deal with that. So you get the general principle. It's kind of the cause and effect principle. So as we're walking through James... Uh, what we're going to find is James is telling us if we have a true faith, in other words, a faith that is not just head knowledge, not that's just intellectual, uh, but instead we have a true faith that though it started here, it dropped down into our heart. If we have that kind of faith, then we're going to find that it's going to affect, it's going to impact, it's going to influence the way that we live our lives. Um, uh, So what we're going to find is that as we walk through James and his letter, we're going to constantly uh, be challenged. Just in the first week, just as I've been studying, I've already been challenged by some of the things that he's saying. And so as we walk through, he's going to deal with some pretty uh, common but tough life situations that's going to cause us to have to um, adjust our behaviors if we haven't already. So what I want you to do is reach into your worship guides and take out your teaching notes. Let me go ahead and tell you something about the teaching notes. Um, you You will get to fill in some blanks. Uh, I'm going to use them a little bit in the beginning and a little bit at the end, but I'm going to approach the, uh, the in-between in just a little bit of a different way. I'll remind you that the answers are always at the bottom on the back side. <clears throat> um, while you're doing that, let me, um, let me walk you through some, um, 
some context. Let, let me just point out some things about James that I think will help us better understand his letter as we walk through it over the next two weeks. So the first uh, thing that we would address is, who is James? You know, who, who is this man James that's written this letter? Well, um, it's important that we ask that because in the New Testament, particularly in the Gospels, there are three men who are clearly identified as having the name James. Two of those men were the disciples that followed Jesus. The third was the half-brother of Jesus. And it's commonly believed, pretty confirmed, that the one who wrote this particular letter is, is the half-brother of Jesus. Now, I find this really interesting because when we read in the Gospels, I think maybe it's in John chapter 7, um, that there was a time where Jesus' brothers did not actually believe that he said who he said he was. Jesus was making claims, I'm the Son of God, I'm the Messiah. And they didn't believe him, and so they said something like, well, if you're the Son of God, why don't you go on to Jerusalem and prove it? And it they, they, didn't, they didn't believe that it's, he, it was who he said he was, but yet today, all these thousands of years later, we're sitting in church and we're studying a letter written by the same man who didn't believe. And very interesting, uh, when we read in Acts, what we find is that this same James became the head of the Jerusalem church right after it was birthed. And it makes me think, what a difference Jesus makes. What a difference a true encounter with Jesus makes that we go from unbelief to belief and that we go from a, from a life that's far away from God to a life that's changed and we're, we're telling people about Jesus and we're, we're, we're working to, to be like him so that we can be Jesus in the flesh to the world around us. Um, James is said to be probably the most practical book of the New Testament. It's often referred to as the Proverbs of the New Testament. It could be summarized as lessons in practical Christianity. Uh, the audience that he wrote this letter to was a group of Jewish believers whom God had scattered all throughout the world. Why did he write to this group of believers? Well, there were three, at least three reasons. He wrote to them to comfort them because they were being persecuted because of their faith. But he also wrote to them to correct them. He wrote to correct them because there were some things that were going on, some, some uh, perceptions that they have, some beliefs that they had adopted that needed to be corrected, things when they were coming together that, that weren't, they weren't good, they weren't right. And then finally, he, he, he writes to them because he wants to correct a misunderstanding that they have of the relationship between faith and works. So what we're going to find throughout the letter of James is that he talks a lot about works. And so there's very easily a misunderstanding. Hopefully we're going to clear up any misunderstandings that exist. Um, it's interesting because uh, James actually contains very little direct doctrinal teaching. You don't find a lot of doctrine in the book of James. And in relation to other New Testament writers, he really doesn't mention Jesus all that much. However, all throughout the words that James writes, those words are saturated with the teachings of Jesus, particularly the Sermon on the Mount. There are at least 15 indirect um, references to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So while much of the Bible deals with our walk to God, James takes on a bit of a different focus. And James focuses on our walk 
with God. He directs us how to put our faith to work. And that's actually where the series title came from, Putting Faith to Work. Uh, One of the most uh, prominent writers in the New Testament, I think you would agree with me, uh, is the Apostle Paul, right? The Apostle Paul wrote uh, 13 of our our New Testament books. Um, Many would believe that there is a conflict between what Paul writes and what James writes. Um, Paul writes about the fact that we are saved by faith and faith alone. In other words, Paul's saying, you cannot work your way into heaven. You cannot earn your salvation. Yet when James writes, James writes about works. But listen, there's no conflict. There's no conflict at all. In fact, to to believe that there is a conflict is to uh, misunderstand what James is all about. Both James and Paul, their emphasis is on faith. It's just that Paul writes about the source of our faith and James writes about the fruit of our faith. Um, James contends that we are justified by faith and faith alone, but that faith is never alone. And he contends that the presence of Jesus in our life, represented by true faith, will make a difference in how we live our lives. James contends that true faith will always produce goodness. In other words, if you and I believe that through Jesus, we've been adopted into God's family, and we call ourselves sons and daughters of God, then that will be evidenced by the goodness, the wisdom, the perseverance, how we deal with other people. That will all flow out of our life. It'll be evidenced by the fruit in our life. James is going to help us understand this. If we truly have faith, it's going to be seen in how we face various trials. That's what we'll talk about today. It's going to be seen in um, how we treat other people. It's going to be seen in what we say. It's going to be seen in how we deal with sin in our own lives. And it's going to be seen in how we pray. And I love this. James helps us understand that when faith is stretched, guess what? It doesn't break. And when faith is pressed, it doesn't fail. And listen to this. When faith is expressed, it doesn't explode. This is one of those ouches for us. Here's what he's talking about. Be careful of your tongue because your tongue has the power to cause great destruction. Let's just be honest. Has anybody else in the room besides me ever let this little thing cause a big problem for a lot of people? Raise your hand. I'm just going to go ahead and tell everybody in the room, right? And so this is a challenge. This is one of those challenges because the tongue can be very hard to control. And he he helps us discover that when faith is distressed, it doesn't panic. He's going to walk us through what true faith really looks like. And so I've taken a little bit more time than I normally would to lay the foundation for the book of James. But it's important that we do that because if we're really going to dig in, if we're going to really say, I want to be transformed by the word, then we've got to know. What, what's this journey that we're headed to? What is it 
What is it we're going to be challenged with over uh, the next few weeks? So here's what I want to do. Um, over the next few minutes, uh, I want to um, walk us through uh, 18 verses in um, James chapter 1. I wish, this is the kind of study, I, 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 series of messages, I wish we had the time to really just go verse by verse, dig in deep exponential, but, but we don't. I, I, I don't apologize for that. We don't, but that's what you get to do at home in your own study. In fact, we're encouraging you, study James' letter to the church over these next 10 weeks. Dig in what is it the Holy Spirit will say to you. So what I am going to do today, I'm going to read a little bit, and I'm going to talk a little bit. I'm going to summarize a section, and I'll read a little bit more, and I'll summarize a section. I'll read a little bit more, I'll summarize, I'll read, summarize, and then we'll pull out your teaching notes, and we'll just use those to just kind of, okay, what is it we just talked about? So look at James chapter 1, and let's go for the journey. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Verse 2, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And I'm going to stop there because for me, it's interesting that it's me immediately. James introduces himself. He greets his audience. And then he jumps into what I would say. He jumps right into the deep end of the pool. In fact, the entire first chapter of James deals with how we walk through adversity. And then in verse 2, he says this, Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, when you face many kinds of trials. You know my response to that so often when I read it, almost every time, is seriously? Seriously, James. And I've read this. In fact, the very first teaching series that I did, um, whoa, back in 2001 as a lead pastor at a church in California, it wasn't the, the, gospel, the book of James, the gospel of James, the book of James. And, and I had the same response then, and I still have to work through that now because he says, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, when you face many kinds of trials, when you face so much adversity. And I want to respond and say, seriously, James? Seriously, you saying... That when a trial comes, when adversity comes, I'm supposed to say, oh, goody, goody. I've been waiting on you. In fact, you're later than I thought you would be. I had hoped you would arrive yesterday. What delayed you? I'm so happy, happy, happy that you're here. Well, I'm going to do the happy dance. Do you ever respond to trials that way? So it's one of those things we can have a head knowledge of what James is saying. But have we... Do we let it drop down into our heart? Because here's what James, James isn't telling us. Be happy, happy, happy when trials comes. He's talking about an attitude. It's the attitude that we have when we face trials. When we face trials, when we face adversity, it's not that God caused it. But if it's here, God will use it for a reason. In verse 3, James tells us what it is. He says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So right here, we know that when adversity comes, God allows it because he uses it to test us. 
God has something greater in mind. He has our character in mind. It's not about our happiness, but God wants to build us up as godly men and women of character. And so he's saying, when adversity comes your way, have this attitude. No, God, you are up to something. You, you're going to teach me something. You're going to press in on me with this trial, or you're going to let this trial press in on me, and you're going to refine me, and the impurities are going to float to the surface, and then you're going to come with your spirit, and you're going to remove those because I'm going to offer them to you. That's really what is to happen. But it's interesting because he uses that word, it produces perseverance. You know what he's saying? It produces patience, or when you're in the midst of an adversity, you need to be patient. That's really hard, isn't it? patience in the midst of a hard time, in the midst of a trial. I don't like to wait. I just, I don't like to wait. But I found that when adversity comes, though I might have wanted it over yesterday, God says, no, 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 no. I got a lesson. There are lessons that you can learn from this if you will submit to me. He goes on in verse 5 and he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. You could read these verses and say, that seems disconnected from adversity. That just doesn't seem to, to connect. It doesn't seem to line up. But remember the whole chapter is about facing adversity. So here's what James wants us to know. When adversity comes, one of the things that surfaces is that for most of us, we lack the wisdom that's actually needed to walk through the adversity. In other words, we lack the godly wisdom. We may have all kinds of man-made wisdom, and it might help to a degree, but there's a wisdom that only God can give because God has the full perspective. God sees the total reality of life. He knows the story he's working out. So what happens is when we ask God for wisdom, we're saying, God, would you help me have your perspective of this situation? Because with your perspective, I'm going to deal with it differently. God, would you give me your perspective of the reality of life and also, the wisdom would tell us that this isn't just about God creating godly character in me, but it's also attached to other people. While he's working in me, he's working in other people all around me. But then he goes on to say, but if you're, he says, if you ask, he'll give it to you generously. He'll pour it out. But he says, if you're going to ask, ask in faith. Believe. Believe that he's going to give it. Because if you, if you don't really believe... I'm not going to give it. Because here's what happens. If we, if we don't believe, if we ask for wisdom, but we're kind of doubtful, God, I hope you give me that wisdom, but I'm not sure if you will, then what happens is um, we find ourselves moving into action on our own and we go back to our own limited wisdom to try to work it out. And God says, you're going to have to trust me all the way. I have what you need for this trial. But you're going to have to be patient. You're going to have to persevere. You're going to have to let me do the work that I'm doing. 
I'm going to give you the wisdom, but don't, don't rush. Don't rush into your own. In verse 9, he says, Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossoms, it, it blossoms, falls, and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Again, this could seem disconnected to adversity. How, how is it, it is connected. How is it connected? So I believe that what James is saying is don't put your trust or your faith in what you do have. If you have a lot. But at the same time, don't put your trust, your faith in what you don't have. In other words, don't let what you do or don't have dictate who you are or what you do. Don't trust in yourself. It's like the verse that I gave uh, Kurt a little while. Uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. So rather than letting our circumstances dictate who we are, again, what we have, what we don't have. Instead, we recognize that our all-sufficient resource is through Jesus Christ. That's what God has given us. He's given us the resource of Jesus Christ. When we read in Ephesians, we read that we have been given every spiritual blessing that we need for this life. We read that other places in the New Testament. Everything that we need has already been provided us through the work of Jesus Christ. I'm going to go on. Verse 13. When tempted, let no one, uh, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. You know what James is saying? With every adversity comes temptation. And the temptation is to do it your own way instead of running to God. The temptation is that in the midst of adversity, that we would run away from God instead of moving towards Him and clinging to Him and waiting and persevering for Him to do the work that He wants to do and allowing Him to give us the wisdom. And so He's saying, here's, here's the deal. If you're in adversity, don't blame God. Don't put the, don't put the blame on Him. You have to take responsibility. That temptation was something that was inside of you and you, you let it conceive. You're the one that brought it to action. If you find yourself in a worse off situation because of the adversity, you know, God allowed the adversity, but he didn't cause it. And he didn't get you into the situation that you find yourself in now. Here's why. Because God is holy. He can't tempt us with evil. He's completely separated from sin. It's just not possible. So James is saying, you take responsibility. And then verses 16 through 18, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. So James is saying, 
when you find yourself in adversity. Because remember, James didn't say if you find yourself in adversity. He says when. It's unavoidable. When you find yourself in adversity, don't get mad at God. Don't blame God. Instead, settle in and let him do the work that he wants to do because he only gives good gifts. He's a good, good father. As a good father, he's working for our good and he's working for his glory. He's not punishing us. He's not trying to make us fail. He's trying to build us up. He's trying to mature us. He wants to, but we have to submit to that. So maybe our first challenge with James is to say, I've been dealing with adversity completely wrong. I am mad at God about something. Or I thought he did cause it. Or I haven't had a right attitude. I haven't been patient. I've tried to work it out myself. And if that's the challenge, God said, it's, it's not too late. You could still rest in him. You could still present it to him because he's at work. He's at work. So let me, let me land the plane. Let me, uh, let, me, let me let you fill in blanks in the notes. How do we bring it home? How is our faith revealed in the fire? We need to live committed to the process in whatever trial we face. Adversity is a reality for everyone, particularly for every Christ follower. God allows adversity. He has a plan and a purpose for adversity, and that's, it's to grow us up. It's to refine us. It's to mature us. Um, it's true, it's a reality, but we don't have to let adversity wear us down or wear us out. That's so important. It doesn't have to wear us down. It doesn't have to wear us out. Instead, we choose the right attitude and we believe that there's gain in the pain and we seek God for his wisdom because we lack wisdom. And we live prudent. We recognize that it's not about who you know or what you have. Our faith is in Jesus Christ and all that he offers. We continually are in pursuit of him. We live aware. We take responsibility for the temptation to sin that's in our own lives. And we live grateful. We give God thanks for his goodness. Um, our desire is that over the next 10 weeks that you would make the letter of James a part of your daily life. Again, 10 weeks. This is a, one of our longer series um, when you leave today at the uh, guest central, uh, there are some cards here like this. On the back of the card, this says putting your faith to work. On the back, you'll find a reading plan of James that will take you over the 10 weeks. And, and we're just simply saying, would you, would you follow this reading plan? Would you read James? Would you let it saturate your heart and your spirit? You don't have to wait till you get here on the weekend to, to let the word speak to you. The Holy Spirit will speak to you while you're reading and studying it at home. And then you get to bring that here and you get to encourage other people with it. So I, I just, I truly, as people who want to be transformed, let's let this be part uh, of that transformation. Would you bow your heads? I want to pray for you. Father, thank you for your word. Um, thank you for the sharpness of your word, the love of your word, the transformational power of your word. Thank you that your word is inspired by your spirit, your very breath. 
And so we commit ourselves as we walk through your word, as James has expressed it, and we, we say we surrender to you and we ask that you do the work in us. Help us to have the proper relationship between faith and works. Help us to um, allow true faith to settle in and it would change and impact how we live. And it would be so obvious to people. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.